it. Mm -hmm. And and the same thing, I mean, with everything, whatever, you know, the laws are going to be, they're going to be. And and we're going to have to adapt them until they go away or they don't go away, whatever. But that's all safe. I mean, it's constantly changing. And, you know, because we're constantly identifying new risks, or at least we should be, right? Constantly identifying new risks. And and then if enough people are identifying it, they're communicating it to their professional organizations and it works its way up the chain until somebody says, hey, that either falls under OSHA's general duty clause or we need to create something specific for this and regulate it. Our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern our business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Welcome everyone. This is the season two of the Mission Zero podcast. Uh, Thank you for coming back. My name is Jeff Peoples. I'm your host. Uh, Across from me, Justin Overstreet, my uh, my wonderful, handsome, debonair side, uh, I would say, I almost said sidekick there, be terrible. That's a, I'd be his sidekick. Uh, co-host, uh, thank you uh, from all of Old Tools. Thank you for being here, Justin. Thanks for having me back. And our guest, uh, I'm very excited about, uh, Laura Weiss from Premium Oilfield Technologies. Laura is the VP, and I'm going to read it all out. I'm not going to give the short new, the new name. I'm going to give it all out. The VP of Quality Health and safety, environmental, social, and government. Premium and product. that is a mouthful. <laughs> five, by, five by seven business. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for for uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I've admired you from afar. On uh, send you on LinkedIn. We connected on LinkedIn about a year or so ago, and and I mentioned a while back I wanted you to be on the show, and I had scheduled out season one already. But I really uh, I liked how active you were. Uh, in addressing safety issues and talking about safety and, and trying to, as a group and as an industry, help move it forward. So uh, I want to start out a little bit, though, about getting to know you personally. Can you tell us a little bit about you personally and also your uh, a little bit about your career that led you to where you are now? Sure. Um, I mean, I grew up in the Houston area. Mm-hmm. Born in Connecticut, but got here as fast as I could, they say, uh, courtesy of my dad in the military. Um, been here since I was six. Grew up in Deer Park. Always been around, you know, oil, oil and gas, petrochem, all of the refineries and stuff. My dad's a plant operator for Exxon. My grandfather retired from uh, Exxon, you know, management, uh, instrumentation, and, and electrics. And I mean, he's he's sort of the reason I got into oil field, you know, and and, and oil and gas. I guess you'd say I was always meant to end up here, but. It's not at all what I thought my career was going to do. Uh, sort of accidentally fell into the, the quality and health and safety and environment stuff for oil and gas. Um, always thought I was going to be a district attorney. You know, thought I was going to go. Uh, went to school, you know, pre-law. Thought I was going to be an attorney. I was going to put bad guys away. Was there something? Was uh, did something happen? Was there something in the news that just triggered that, or was it just kind of a? 
thing. No, I you know grew up with a, a healthy obsession with uh, <laughs> Law and Order, and all the crime dramas you can you know you can see on TV. Well, I want to be an archaeologist because I love Indiana Jones. I mean, it, it affects you when you go, right? I mean, that's how you get to what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, for a brief stint, you know, before I turned ten, I wanted to be a zoologist and work with monkeys, but. Thankfully, I outgrew that since I have trouble managing my dogs. Um, <laughs> and, and having kids kind of pushed that away, you know, away for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, on a personal level, I'm, I'm a mom. I, I was a single mom for a, a little while. And that's actually when I got into all of the QHSE stuff. Um, you know, I, I got married young and did not end up pursuing a law career. And so I was working in accounting for an industrial manufacturing um, facility making industrial fasteners and things just sort of opened up, had a boss that believed in me and gave me an opportunity to, to learn quality and then HSE. And, um, and, and so I kind of, you know, that that's, that's how I got into it. And, um, you know, when, a, when an opportunity came along at premium oil field technologies to take on, you know, the QHSE stuff there, um, I jumped at it. I've always said, if an opportunity presents itself, you know, take it. Yeah. If somebody offers you something, apply, do the interview, take the chance. If it works out, it was for you. If it doesn't, all you did is learn something else. You know, you got another interview under your belt. You learned a few more skills. And then when I got to premium, I, I realized, you know, I, it was a really good fit for me. Really good fit. Um, you know, the quality background that I had in, um, you know, continuous improvement, looking at data and looking at the root cause of problems and failures and non-conformances fits really well with HSE. Um, And and it's what allows me to be proactive on the safety side, you know, and, and Hey, you know, uh, to address, you know, uh, problems that that have always been or new problems, you know, well, well, how do we, how do we not just, you know, avoid them, but how do we prevent them from the beginning? You know, you, you have risk mitigation and risk elimination. How do we eliminate it so that we don't have to get to, you know, well, a lessons learned situation. Yeah. Um, so you, so you dealt with COVID and got married <laughs> all in the same all year. The same year. What child, and what's your other thing? Uh, his you, name is Brandon. Shout out to Brandon. Congratulations. <laughs> and you have two children. I do. I have my son who will be 17 here in a few months. Okay. And I have a seven year old stepson. I've got to ask the 17 year old. What has he got a plan yet? Or is, or is he a, is he a, he's a junior okay. this year. His is birthday it, is at the end of the school year. Does so. he know, is he going to college, military? What's he doing? Um, Right now, all he's doing is rocking a, the tiniest man bun you've ever seen on the top of his head. <laughs> so, we, so we need to get him in the military. Is what you're saying? <laughs> and, uh, and and worried about about girls. We're fine. We finally hit that. You know, I have a little girlfriend. I'm worried about girls stage. I'm terrified. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Just don't talk to anybody but your father. Yeah. And your stepson is seven. My stepson is seven. Okay. Yeah. So you had to kind of start all over again with a 10-year gap there. Yes. And yeah. they're making me pay for it <laughs> on a daily basis. It's all the joy. Okay. So I'm sorry. I mean, I just wanted to, you know, ask about them because, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned before we got on recording that, uh, you know, I want to learn about the person here too and not just uh, the position and the job. So Absolutely. And now you're at uh, Premium Oilfield Technology, a yes. great company. Uh, oh, yeah. I've known about it for quite a while. Uh, my prior company I worked for was actually owned, was part of the same investment group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were in the same bundle there. So we were closely connected. 
<laughs> from my old company to when they were owned by them years ago, maybe six years ago mm-hmm. now. Uh, so I got to work with some of the guys there then. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, it was just some good synergy there. It was mm-hmm. a, the reputation. Impeccable. Oh, yeah. So you're now in safety and everything else in, that even approaches it in the old yeah, field. Are you, all the letters. Yeah. So you're doing the job of all. Uh, you moved from quality. I think you had a, uh, made a point about it. Quality into safety is kind of a seamless mm-hmm. transition, right? Mm-hmm. Which Qu- quality will always have my heart. Yeah. I mean, the, the quality management stuff and, and actually auditing is fun for me. I enjoy it. It's a game to me. I can win or I can lose based on, you know, if I get a non-conformance or a finding or I don't. So mm-hmm. I enjoy it. That's the part of the job I, I, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and so quality will always be the part that, that I just, I mean, that's, it sounds ridiculous to say it out loud, but I love that part of my job. Yeah. Um, I know there's that old adage, if you like what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. Um, I like what I do. I like my job. I like the company I work for. I like the opportunities that it's given me to learn more, um, to, to kind of do my own thing. You know, if I see something that's a problem, say, Hey, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, what can we do differently? And, um, and the opportunities to travel and meet new people and that, you know, my mother reminds me that that really, really, that was my dream job. You know, in, in high school and in college, I did speech and debate. I was traveling all over the country. Um, uh, I you can know, totally competing. see you being able to do speech and debate. I could see <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's where my, that's what Excellent. my background came, you know, was. So I was traveling all over, all over the country competing and, um, and so it's, it's funny that that's, you know, where my career has taken me, this career that I just sort of fell into, um, you know, it's given me what, what really, um, kind of, you know, set my soul on fire when I was a teenager was getting to travel and meet new people and learn new things. And, and that's where I'm at now with premium is getting to, you know, to do something different every day. I would be bored to tears in a job that was the same thing every day. And counting was not a good fit for me. I had that at the, the partner company, which is Ringer's Gloves. So I worked for them for years, and I did international sales for them. I can't I tell people how much fun I had doing my job. It was incredibly fun. Like, yeah. you get to go to these countries and see... And I, and I laughed. Uh, you know, I heard you mention, or you mentioned earlier about the, uh, the trade laws and the... Uh, anti-corruption mm-hmm. stuff and and your for you know your former um cfo john mullins and i had to fill out a few of those <laughs> as uh as he was my primary he dealt with me primarily because mm-hmm. i was the only one international yes. really for the company <laughs> so he was dealing with all the where are you going again all the paperwork for you <laughs> and then and then he gets you know he pan- he gets into a full-on panic uh one year where uh i was in brazil and brazil impeached their president while I was there and he, and he, he's sending me emails and calling me. He goes, I got an alert for our, our lawyers alerted me that you're there. Cause they, everybody knows what I'm trying right? Yeah. Um, you're there and there's a political crisis. And I looked around and went, where is there a political crisis? <laughs> and the next day there was a political crisis. Oh yes. <laughs> so, uh, so that was uh, an interesting thing, but, but yeah, what you said, I loved every single day. I mm-hmm. it was great. So, yeah, um, I mean, I I enjoy it. So you can't you can't beat that for anything, mm-hmm. can you? You wake up with a smile on your face. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't get up and go. Oh, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go. And I I like that one for myself. But two, I mean, I like that for 
our teams. Yeah. You know, if, if they don't begrudgingly come to work, they are much more productive. I and, get to do this with just and, how much yeah, fun that and, is. <laughs> Look at it. I mean, it's just they're, every I mean, day. They're just, <laughs> and they're more willing to participate. And, and you know, it's not just, it's, it's a family. I mean, mm-hmm. I know every company says, you know, oh, we're a family, but it really is a family there. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for a better opportunity. So you mentioned when we were talking, you know, prior to, to starting this, that uh, you also have recently begun the ESG mm-hmm. uh, extravaganza that it uh, is. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Huge part. T- tell me what you guys are doing with that, and uh, and is it something that was pushed by the private equity company that you are engaged with, or is it something that you did proactively as a, hey, this is definitely coming to a theater near you, we better get on this. So, um, both. Uh, the environmental side and the governance side are things that we've been discussing for a while. Um, you know, we don't do any direct manufacturing, but uh, we do come in contact a lot with the environmental concerns on customer sites, especially out in Appalachia, in that area, you know, in, in all the national forests and stuff that there are rigs set up in and, and work sites set up in. Um, you run into a lot of environmental controls, a lot of spill reporting um, that needs to be done. And it's expected to be done by everybody. And out there, you get a lot of complaints from, you know, the neighborhoods that you're working in. People, you know, your truck drove on my yard and tore up the ground. Um, You know, those sort of environmental concerns, um, as well as your, you know, more federally regulated environmental concerns. So it's something that we started talking about before, even though we're not, I mean, our biggest environmental issue is our fleet operations with, you know, uh, with 17 locations internationally, we have a large fleet. We operate over a hundred different vehicles just for delivering product to customers. That's not including any motor freight that we may use or anything like that. So, um, we started kind of talking about that stuff early on. Um, and then the governance stuff, uh, because we do work internationally, you run in, you know, to some of the anti-corruption law stuff that you kind of want to stay ahead of, even though we don't think it's a huge risk for us, um, you know, starting to do business more, looking at the offshore stuff again and, and get, you know, new customers in different countries. You want to stay ahead of, you know, what you're allowed to do, ITAR and all of that. Um, but the social side was sort of pushed through the private equity. Um, a lot of focus from them on DE&I, all the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff um, that gives investors that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that they're looking for on top of your safety metrics. Um, that got pushed, you know, through through the private equity firm. And we've made a huge strides that we've always, you know, made an effort to look at what different backgrounds, you know, culturally, ethnically, in terms of gender diversity or orientation, we've always looked at how does that, you know, contribute to that sort of continual improvement? What have, you know, different people's experiences uh, given them that will allow us to not only be attractive to, you know, more investors and customers, but how do those backgrounds shape how they see the industry and how it can move forward? So that came, you know, kind of a push from them, but it was something that organically the company's always done. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that kind of started premium and, um, you know, they all came from these very highly structured corporate backgrounds that almost sort of cage a lot of the natural human ingenuity that comes with not just, 
the product development, but the interpersonal relationships you can build with customers, you know, if you, if you don't have so many rules necessarily, you know, you have basic rules you have to have, you have to operate safely, you have to operate ethically and morally, um, uh, sound, but, uh, you, you know, you want room to stretch your legs. You want room to say, Hey, I don't think that's the best way to do that. We can do that this way. And, um, and, and not feel like you're going to be punished for it. So that's not, that's not our corporate thought process. You want to feel like you're free and open to sort of, you know, voice those job. things. Yeah. To do your job. You want the trust in the employer said that, that says, you know, I, I hired you to do a job, go do it. And if you feel like we need to do something different, speak up and you're, you know, you're safe to do that. Um, I, I have always felt like if your employees, your team really is what they are, feels like you trust them to do the job, they will do the job. They will work for you. They will produce for you. As Justin and I have said, if you treat people like adults, they'll act like adults. If you treat them like children, they will act like children. Yes. And you tend to get more creative and innovative solutions to problems when people feel like they right. act freely. Uh, and on, in all of the sections of, of a business, right? In, in, in the sales, in health and safety and environment, in, in your social and governance stuff, and in the product itself. Uh, yeah. Are your uh, have you had any of your uh, your people you're contracted with companies you're contracted with have they approached you or contacted you about some of the more social side of the ESG or have they have they question they start questioning you we haven't reached that stage in the world yeah uh, we have not no yeah. uh, I do know that that it's it's something everybody's looking at because you'll kind of see. Um, you know, bulletins posted about it or, you know, Hey, we're hiring and all of a sudden we're looking for something different than we looked for before. Um, but going, going into like, not directly us, but going into like IS Emerald PC, they're starting to have sections in Mm -hmm. there dedicated to in ESG specific. Yeah. Tell me what your environmental, uh, makeup is. Tell me what your social makeup is, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think Uh, I've seen two or three in the last year, getting ready for 2022, mm -hmm. all the updated stuff. There have been two or three. Well, I assumed that was going to, you know, it was going to come from like the shells and the companies like that. They're going to, the big multinationals. It's going to trickle down. Yeah, it'll <laughs> its way. And, you know, just like anything else, it has its positives, you know, its pros and cons. It's going to, some good things going to come out of it. And some of it's going to be a little silly. And, um, you know, I guess managing that is is the way forward. You got to figure out a way to, to do it and, and, and keep, yeah, you, you keep gotta, the profits up while you're actually being a better steward of, you know, society. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think the easiest way to frame it now, especially for, you know, uh, oil field companies that, you know, that have, uh, corporate offices, you know, that are in the city or in neighborhoods. I mean, where our office is, we're right off the beltway here in Houston, but, right across the street from us is a church with a nursery school. And, you know, you've got a neighborhood right the back's almost right up to us. You want to be a good neighbor in the community that you're operating in. You know, a lot of that social side gets to your community involvement and what are you doing? You know, you want to make sure that you're taking care of, of the neighborhood that you're working in. I mean, you want to be a welcome guest, not a nuisance and not somebody that they're constantly complaining about. It makes it difficult to operate, but um, I mean, ultimately right all the way down at the end of the supply chain that neighborhood you're working in is the final customer mm-hmm. you know if they stop having a demand for your product or what your product gets them you go oh, everybody's out of business i mean we saw that with covid 
know, you take planes out of the sky and all of a sudden we're all sitting around twiddling our thumbs trying to make work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, then I guess that's one thing I, you know, I don't spend a ton of time on COVID, uh, but I find it interesting to, uh, I guess, take the greatest health crisis, the any safety, um, you know, I've talked ad nauseum to, to Justin about it and another, and every guest we've had, it's, it's been a focal point and it's, you know, I'd like to say it's dying down, but it, it, it really isn't, especially on the side of, you know, laws and practices of companies. So, um, I guess I'll start by asking you, what was your, uh, how did you navigate it, uh, with your company and, and uh, what did you find that worked? What did you find that didn't? What would you find that the, the greatest um, the issue, I guess the greatest problem had with COVID? So, look, my goal from the beginning was to keep as many of our guys working for as long as we could mm. because most of them had children, which meant either they or their partner had to stay home mm. and take care of kids while they were out of school, out of daycare, whatever. So we wanted, number one, to make sure that as many people stayed working for as long as possible. Um And the only way to do that really was to make sure that our employees and their families had the basic PPE. You know, they had face masks, hand sanitizer. I have gallons of hand sanitizer that smells like old tequila. (laughs) Just everywhere. (laughs) Well, just because all the... uh... All the breweries shut down. Yes, and started making hands. I mean, it's a wonderful, (laughs) you know, job they had. Oh yeah, but we, you know, we we made sure that instead of just telling our employees and their families go find it on your own, that we were supplying that, you know, and not just to our local facility that I was in, but all of our facilities, you know, uh, nationwide. Um, We operate in all of the major areas where there's any sort of oil and gas operations happening, and. you know, we were constantly shipping stuff to them. And now, um, you know, we, we kind of made it through that. I get every once in a while, I get a notice from a customer. Hey, you had a gut, you know, a person on our rig at this time, somebody tested positive. They can't come back until they test positive or until this date. Yeah. I get the guys out there or, you know, the girls or whoever I get them tested. I want them working, not sitting at home and let number one, let sales go to somebody else. But number two, it, it's hard on, you know, mental health to have to sit home for two weeks and try to find something to do. Uh, Look, I don't want to be at home for two weeks with my husband and my children with nothing to do. Love them to death, but I need, I need a task. I need, I need a job to do. I need something to keep me busy. And so I want, I want my people working. I want my teams working um, for as long as they can. Now it's just, you know, do what you're going to do in terms of the vaccination. You know, we're, we're not mandating them. Mm. We are encouraging our employees to get vaccinated for their own health. Uh, but we're not, you know, we're not mandating anything. And, and as long as the OSHA stuff is on hold, you know, we're, we're sort of navigating that day by day, getting a plan in place just in case, but making sure our employees understand that, you know, we're not forcing them to do anything. And making sure that we're paying for those COVID tests if they can't find them free in their local vicinity. Have you gotten the hint that maybe some of the you know rig sites you're going on, some of those companies are going to require you guys to have vaccinations? Right now, nobody's asked for vaccine cards or anything like that. Um, as it is right now, it's if you're sick, don't come here. Yeah. Um, masks, if you're indoors, still on a lot of them. Um, the same thing we've been doing for the last what, year and a half now? Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of change for 
for us in terms of what, what we've been doing that way. Are you guys still doing your testing like at a lab or, or are you doing home testing yet? Are you um, doing- both. If it's, okay. a, if it's a, like last week when I had a customer that said, hey, you know, this gal was on our site. Um, somebody tested positive. She needs to get tested or she needs to wait this long to come back. We sent that to, we sent her to a lab, did that. But when we've got guys who think they may have been exposed to their kids or their family or whatever, before I send them to a customer site, they're taking an at-home test. Sort of, um, just to be proactive, right? Hey, if this little at-home test comes back positive, let's get you to a lab and double check. If it's negative, I feel more confident that it's okay for me to let them go out onto a customer site. You know, I want my guys to stay healthy. I want our customers to stay healthy. I want vendors who come on site to stay healthy. Whether you think COVID is a huge risk or not, sort of irrelevant when you're trying to operate a business, right? Yeah. You got to kind of try to navigate what your employees feel, what your customers feel, what your vendors feel, and then try to keep all of that in line with whatever the state and local and federal regulations are. I mean, that was not a fun dance when you've got 17 international locations and you're going, all right, well, this country is doing this, this you're one's doing this. Premiums are 17 different countries. 17 locations internationally. So we okay. have, most of them are here in the U.S., but okay. we have facilities in India, Russia, the Middle East, a couple of different locations in the Middle East. We own a manufacturing facility in India. Wow. Um, so that. trying to keep up with what everybody's got going on, every country's different rules, every state's different rules, that was the difficult part. When COVID, when COVID <laughs> first hit, I was a part of a, a piece of, I don't know if you, I think y'all may be involved in that premium, maybe a piece of uh, petroleum, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and we were, I was a part of a uh, five-man group uh, that put together a protocol. We were looking to say, okay, early on, what can, what's the protocol yeah. or what's a good base work or template for a, an oil company to do? And, you know, we, we had Slumberjay and NOV and a couple more in there. And the problem we kept running into would be the communication between different companies. So when you're on a site and you've got 10 different companies out there at once or whatever that number may be, how on earth are you communicating? How do you know who's out there? How do you know how does, if you find out one of your employees test positive, how do you know everybody else that they've been in contact with? You know, that was, that was the difficult part, I think, for everybody. And that's the difficult part in, in all HSE, I think, is communicating effectively. Yeah. Um, but with COVID, you know, if one of our people tested positive or suspected they'd been exposed, I was getting an email. Didn't matter if it was two in the morning or 10 o'clock at night or whatever. I was getting an email. Hey, all right. I need a list of, I, I need your log of every customer you've been to for the last 14 days. And I was sending emails to the safety contacts that I have at all of those customers, pulling MSAs to get contact information. Hey, I had an employee on your site at this time that, um, you know, may have exposed your employees do with that, what, whatever you're going to do based on your own protocol. But that created a lot of work, I think for myself, but for basically, I mean, everybody who works in HSE, COVID mm-hmm. just created a lot of extra work for all of us. Everybody. I mean, it, every, it everybody did. I talk to, uh, and of course, everyone I would call would be HSE. Right. <laughs> um, they were all doing the job of three people because they were fighting on the other end, the, 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 the uh, budget. Yes. There was, there was no budget to hire anybody because you weren't really doing that much work. So you're sitting there, okay, you're forced to do work 
of three people. So I hope uh, coming out of this, there's a greater appreciation for the safety uh, professionals out there. So <laughs> I told my guys, look, don't hate on me. It's not coming from me. Yeah. Okay, I didn't create the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We just got to learn how to work in it. Mm-hmm. And and the same thing. I mean, with everything, whatever you know, the laws are going to be, they're going to be. And and we're going to have to adapt them and, until they go away or they don't go away, whatever. And, but that's all safe. I mean, it's constantly changing and, you know, because we're constantly identifying new risks or at least we should be right. Constantly identifying new risks. And, and then if enough people are identifying it, they're communicating it to their professional organizations and it works its way up the chain until somebody says, Hey, that either falls under OSHA's general duty clause, or we need to create something specific for this and regulate it. You know, you said earlier, you mentioned, uh, what I would call process safety. Uh, you talked about getting hammers out of hands or swinging hammers less and things like that. Um, is that something you focus on? Is it is it process safety? Is it uh, you know? Because I notice a, a lot of sophisticated companies they're doing that. It's like not just how to you know. I make products that are the last line fence, right? Uh, but we're trying to prevent the risk itself, right? You're trying to prevent the risk itself, right? Uh, you know. Is that, is that, is that a, like a major goal of yours or is that something you constantly work on or is that? Um, I mean, we have a really incredible engineering team that oh. assumes people are, you know, uh, they behave riskier than they, they actually do. They assume. They do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, they do. They assume people are, 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 you know, are, are, worst case are dumber than they really are. Yeah, you know, they, that's where they go. They always go worst case scenario. This happens. How do we prevent that from happening in the first place? Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's been the direction of the company sort of from the beginning has always been, how do we do things that have always been done in, in the safest way possible? Is there a better way to do that? A safer way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the feedback that we get from a lot of the customers is that those products that we've designed that way, we don't have three guys running that product. We don't have three guys watching that valve. We got one now. So there's cost saving tied directly to that for the customer. Yeah, the product itself may be a, an initial investment of a little bit more than what you would normally spend, but you're taking ex, you know extra guys off of that task, putting them to something else. So it doesn't just improve the safety of the product itself, but it improves the safety of the whole process and the efficiency of the whole process, mm-hmm. which... I think it's necessary when you're you're approaching the safety side with a customer is like, look, hey, it's a safer product. Honestly, the guy on the rig does not care. Does not care. He he's not looking at the dollars tied to that safety risk. No, not at all. But he is looking. Early. Yeah, he is looking at his headcount and how efficient, you know, that headcount can be put to work. Yeah. And can't work when they're on their own lost time. Right. I mean, it just not, nobody's doing anything. Nobody's doing anything time. lost time. Um, and so when you frame it that way, which is something that Premium's done a really good job of doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, in designing their whole business practice is, is you know, connect those dots financially for the customer. So Premium designs their own products and they put them in the field for the most part? Uh, half and half. Okay. I mean, we design our own product that's going in the field. We do have, you know, a handful of patents um, on our own product. Um, and then, of course, we sell, you know, yeah. second, you know, uh, resell, you know, yeah. um, things that are patented already that a customer just has to have and maybe can't get, they'll come to us for. Um, 
but part of the reason that they've you know acquired so many companies, you know, it's supreme manufacturing manufacturers, our Patriot brand of, of pistons and pulsation dampeners and um, and uh, you know valves and all of that. Um, and you know, we have PMR out in India that does the bulk of our manufacturing. Um, and some of their own design work as well. Our, our shaker screens, uh, you know, we do some of our own design on that. Premium puts a lot of work into R&D. A lot. And, and a chunk of that is on the safety of the product. Um, our MPD stuff in particular has put a huge emphasis on both environment and safety. Can you uh, talk about what that is? MPD? The managed pressure drilling stuff. Okay. Um, I'm probably not the best person to talk about. That. It's, okay. it's okay. I don't understand all of the science behind it. Um, I, but it, you know, uh, some of the you know pressure regulation and stuff um, that you want to be able to do from a touch screen inside of an explosion proof box, mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to out there with your hand on the valve trying to open and close a valve um, where you're putting yourself at risk and exposure to a, you know a pressured up some equipment that can kill multiple people if, yeah. if it's not handled properly. Um, so again, removing, removing the initial exposure risk is sort of the, the, I don't know, the guiding principle behind a lot of the products that, that we are designing. Um, you know, our, our guys come with a background from, uh, you know, all over the world. You know, they've worked a lot of offshore. They've worked out in Africa. They've worked in the North Sea. They've worked in the Gulf. Um, when it comes to the managed pressure stuff, it, is uh, the breakdown of who the customer is? Is it mostly uh, on onshore? Or off? Mostly onshore for okay. us right now. Okay, um, but we, you know, we always looking to take that safer product offshore. You know, in a different application, how can we help keep everybody alive? <laughs> Do you service any industries outside of oil and gas? <clears throat> it's just all oil and gas right now. Okay. Some wastewater, but okay. not not enough that it's a, a you know a huge percentage of our business. So I'd like to touch on something we were discussing um, prior. You know, you mm-hmm. talked about the sort of business model of the company is mm-hmm. you know, growth by acquisition, uh, and then a lot of times that acquisition, the, the integration of that falls on quality for sure, and then absolutely uh, as well. <laughs> and you're both of those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, discuss some of the challenges that you've seen with the acquisition growth model and then uh, some ways that you over overcome those challenges. Right. So, um, you know, when you, when your business guys start looking at acquiring a company, they're looking at the dollars, they're looking at the numbers, they're looking at, you know, the commodity that they're going to get and deciding to be an asset purchase or whatever. Uh, but they're very rarely ever looking at, the you know quality related procedures it or fit. this yeah, yeah they're they're not looking at the safety plan they're not looking at an HSE manual they're not you know they're not looking at TRIR or any of your DART or LTIR metrics you know they're not looking at any of that they're just we can make more money with this product we can improve on this product you know um, number crunchers making decisions um, and so a lot of times what you get then is a company who's Culture when it comes to HSC and even quality is not the same as the parent company. If they have an HSC program, you know, when when you acquire smaller companies that have a 
great product, right? That they, they just don't have the financial backing to make, um, you know, the moves maybe that they want to or to get into those larger markets, but you know, you do. Yeah. As, as terms of a business decision, it's a great business decision, but then you've got those sort of, you know, smaller companies that you're acquiring that they got, you know, one or two guys doing the work of eight. So they're always tired, but that's just how it's always been done. They're fixing stuff that maybe isn't theirs to fix, but that's just how it's always been done. You know? And that's your greatest enemy you said earlier. Yeah. I mean, how it's always been done. Yeah, it, it really is. And that's what we've found in acquiring, you know, customers or you get total opposite end of the spectrum where they have, you know, through uh, previous experience, you know, their employees at different locations or whatever, they've been through some of those big OSHA investigations. And so they've learned through experience and they've got, you know, um, redundant controls in place, you know, too, too much of a good thing sometimes is, is difficult to integrate as well. Um, because then you're doing things, sometimes you're just doing them for the sake of doing them. Um, and there's no, nobody understands why they're doing it. So then you get, people who just rush through the task, right? They rush through that JSA. They don't really pay much attention to what's on it. They just sign it. They sign it without reading it because, well, all my paperwork's in the folder. So you kind of have to balance those, those two extremes in that growth through acquisition, right? And then try to figure out how you make both of them fit in what you currently have without making it feel like they're completely discarded. They're not heard. You know, like, I don't care what you've always done. We're going to do it this way. You never want to trample on your team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're new to the company or they've always been there, you never want to make them feel like the redheaded stepchild of the group, right? Um, you kind of want them to feel like they, they have ownership in the new process. So what we've done here recently, Premium has this great, huge, new West Texas facility out in Midland uh, where we had three separate companies through acquisition that we gained that we've moved all into one facility, currently finishing up that move into one big facility. Um, but then you get, you know, well, who's in charge? What are we going to do? You know, who's going to make these decisions? There's one of me and I'm in Houston and I, I love Midland, but I don't want to live, live there full the time. You don't have a field rep? Um, we do now. Okay, good for you. <laughs> My goodness. Yes, we, we have one now. Um, and she's she's great, you know. Um, real go-getter, real highly organized, but she doesn't take mess from anybody. You know, she's, I'm not doing that. Uh, yeah, you're what? <laughs> you're not going to what? I, I, yes, ma'am, I'll go. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and so what, we, what we've done is we've, we've established a safety committee out there with a, an individual from each of the industries that we've recently acquired that we put into one building to speak, you know, for their teams, you know, so that they all feel like they have equal say, they have ownership of the task. Because what I've found, doesn't matter if it's quality or safety or production or you know, janitorial or whatever, if your employees feel like they have control over their job, if they feel like they have ownership in not just their own work, but the company and the product and watching out for the person next to them, they tend to perform better. You know, I mean, you, you let them design the job the way they want. And if the end result is what you want it to be and they've done it safely, who cares if it's the way you've always done it, you know, you give them that freedom. And so 
That's one of the things that we're doing now is when we do merge multiple companies into one facility um, or multiple divisions rather into one facility is that we're, we're allowing them more of a voice in what they're doing. Instead of the corporate office going, you're going to do it this way. Okay. But you're in Houston and we're in West Texas and things are way different. Or we're in North Dakota and, and things are just different here. You know, you've got, you know, 90 employees in one facility. I got two dudes up here, you know, trying to make well, stuff happen. It's not always going to be exactly the same. Yeah. Justin's, you know, he mentioned his mantra is, uh, you know, you're hired because you know best how to do your work. Right. And so you got to let them do the work. Yeah. We're all adults getting hired to do adult things. Yeah. So right. That. Right. I don't, I don't look, I, I love the teams that we have. They're great guys. I don't need to babysit them. Yeah. And if I've hired somebody and I feel like I need to babysit them and hold their hand, I hired the wrong person. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so I want them to, you know, to have a voice to say, Hey, this is what we've always done here. It's not working anymore. Or I think we could do it better and give them a forum and a platform to do that. That is a discussion as opposed to me just going out there, you know, twice a month going, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. Number one, I don't, I don't manage like that. And number two, whether you understand it, right. Nobody's going to respond to that. They need to know why they're doing it that way. And, and I mean, everybody needs a voice. Everybody needs to feel heard. Everybody needs to feel like they can contribute and it's not going to be why I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I outrank whatever. Look, if I don't understand why I'm doing something, I'm probably not going to do it correctly in the first place. And if I'm being told to do something and that's the only reason I'm doing it, I'm probably not going to have a good attitude doing it. I'm going to rush through it, not going to do it safely. And, and that's how you get into problems. I mean, look, everybody's got feelings. Everybody's got you know stuff they come to business with. And it's difficult to tell people, you know, I, just because somebody told you to do it, you have to do it. Next Um, you know, I always like to ask this question towards the end. I get, I was always wanting to leave this, you know, each episode with some, I guess, some wise words or some good <laughs> thoughts from uh, from people. And I, you know, two questions, you know, I'd like you to address or ask or answer would be number one: What do you, in your particular field, which you you mentioned, it's all oil field, right? You're in you're in the you're in the energy patch. What do you see as the greatest um, <clears throat> problem or? Uh, Task that you're going to have to overcome in the near future for the uh, for for the energy business. In in the near future, it's going to be that productivity at all costs mindset. Yeah, you know everybody wants to get oil field back to where it used to be, mm-hmm. and the only way to do that is production. Get more rigs up, get more people back to work, but it has to be done safely. It is mm-hmm. not a flip or a switch you can just flip on and off and yeah. do it safely. Yeah. You have to have, you know, those, those safety procedures, those processes in place. Um, that mindset is probably going to be the most difficult, especially in the near future. Yeah. As people rush to get back to work. And what do you think more longer term? Five years. I mean, I can't say the same thing. <laughs> no, I, I think honestly, I think once, once things are back to normal, mm. you know, and, and everybody's back to work, um, then you 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 run into um, complacency. Yeah, I mean you get into the complacency stuff, but that's not even it. You there will be the risk that it, that guys that are working out on the rig, ladies that are working out on the rig, everybody who's working out there um, has 
not been properly trained in the safest way to do it. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to end up with a lot of very young people starting out their career. And if their foundation is not right, mm-hmm. if they don't have the safest foundation to start from, they're going to develop poor habits. And, um, that really is where that whole, is how it's always been done thing comes from, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. You know, the next generation can do it differently. Well, what I, what I noticed about you and the, uh, you know, the reason I wanted you on was <laughs> I noticed you didn't have to come in here and talk about and tell us how proactive you are. Uh, you could see it. I can. And so you're, you're an actual, uh, an intellectual thinker inside the business and, and you're a forward thinker. And I really like that. I like, uh, your activity, your, um, your problem solving mindset of safety. And, and I really appreciate that. And, uh, look, thank you so much for being Absolutely. our first guest of season two. We really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you had the decency to wear maroon also. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, Laura, thank you. Uh, Laura, Vice President of Quality Health, Safety, Environmental, Social, and, and Governance for Premier Oil Technology. You have no... Uh, look, we changed it to Vice President of Quality and Regulatory Affairs. Okay. <laughs> because all the rest of that sounded real obnoxious. Well, regulatory Affairs is a huge bucket. It is. But it was the closest thing we could get to fit all of that stuff yeah, into one thing. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate <laughs> thank it. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it too. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.